Welcome to the Evolution Exchange UK podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry questions and challenges they are facing. I'm Scott Hutchinson from Evolution Recruitment Solutions and I help businesses connect with top.net talent and today I'm your host. Today I'm joined by Andy Nicholl of Sputnik Digital, Robert Illing of Spectrix and Deepika Singh of GB Group. And we're going to be discussing how to motivate tech teams. Would you like to introduce yourself, Robert? Uh, yeah. Thanks, Scott. Um, I'm Robert Illing. Uh, I'm an engineering manager with Spectrix. So, so my job is to look after our engineers and make sure they have great career development opportunities and uh, really to look after them and make sure they're well motivated. So yeah, this is really on topic for me today. Thank you. And Deepika? Yeah. Hello, all. I'm Deepika Singh, working as a software engineering team lead for GB Group, working mainly in development from past 12 years looking after a small squad of developers and QAs. Recently, yeah, moved to this role. Cheers. Finally, Andy. Thanks, Scott. Uh, yeah, Andy Nichol. I'm um, MD at Sputnik Digital. We're a UX and engineering agency. Smashing. And starting with the first question, Robert, do Moonshot OKRs have a positive or negative effect on motivation? Yeah, I guess I guess this, this bears some introduction. Um, I've encountered OKRs before at a number of organizations and there are a couple of schools of thought on this about whether or not they should be kind of, uh, they should just certainly speak to what the the outcomes and objectives of the organization are, but whether they should really be stretch goals. And the idea of the moonshot OKR is this idea that you should aim for the moon and if you only reach orbit, then you've really achieved something anyway. Um, and there are a few schools of thought on this, and I was interested in what, what other people on the panel had to, to think about this. I, I, I'm interested in what they have to think first before I, I wade in with my own opinion. So, Rob, Robert, to be honest, like, you know, I didn't know earlier what <laughs> what Moonshot was, so I had to basically, like, and I just did a quick Google for that. I think, like, you know, in some case, it's good, like, you know, and obviously, like, you know, people need, basically to come out of their comfort zone but in some cases where like you know people kind of get panic and like you know if they we put pressure on them it's i think it depends on different people that how they take it do, do you think how, how do you identify though how people are going to react to that because when, when you propose something if if worse comes to worst you 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 don't reach the target you, you you've set out for yourselves how do you predict how those people are going to react? Are they, is it going to make the team dejected, demotivated? Is it going to, are they going to look at the goal and say, hey, there's no way we're going to be able to do this? Yeah, in some cases, yeah. If the goal is well clear, like, and obviously, so yeah, pe- people like, you know, I th- I would say like most, most uh, experienced, like, you know, developers in QAs, they basically like, you know, look at the goal and they would say, oh, this will be like, you know, basically kind of like hard to achieve we might achieve like x amount of that but after that we might need a bit more time okay i mean my 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 own experience of this from teams that i've seen before is that um the teams have almost universally uh reacted negatively to to moonshot or chaos that they've always viewed it as uh, as being something insurmountable even when they know this is hey this is something that's a stretch goal it's worth you know, we're not expecting that we'll reach this. Actually, the people who who are involved hands-on day-to-day in the delivery very often view this as uh, with a certain amount of cynicism. Um, and I just want, I, I wanted to hear from from other 
panelists what they what they thought about how you can maybe combat that. I think um, from Sputnik's perspective, um, any any goal setting and OKRs we've really dealt with from an organization level um, in terms of like growth and uh, quality and all this kind of stuff. But we kind of leave it really to the senior management team to handle and to to kind of feed down. I don't think we impose them um, and maybe don't even always make them visible at team member level. Um, the nature of our work is that um, the phone might ring at half nine and the client wants something and the project gets delivered three months later and something else happens and we just need to deliver excellent work day in, day out. And senior management kind of just keep an eye on that, not in a, any spying way. We just touch base and go, are we are we um, maintaining the standards we want to maintain? And if not, what do we do about it? Like, do we need to have a chat with someone? Do we need to hire someone new? Do we need to introduce a new process? So it's, I guess the, the the team are probably protected from it. I don't think that they'd fully understand it or embrace it. So I, I kind of share your views on that, uh, Rob, that um, it feels like management imposing something on them. That And, and sometimes people at the coalface don't have the same view and perspective or even respect for management and they just want to go on with their job. And it's a management thing to just translate that into practical usage and how that might impact the team. It's interesting you say that. One one of the other things that I, I guess I wanted to talk about today was the the role of um, three pillars of of motivation with autonomy, mastery, purpose, and and kind of the purpose part of that I feel is one of the is is the deciding thing. It's about people being bought into the purpose of the mission, whether that be the mission of the organization, the project that they're working on it. Um, so ideally with OKRs, people really understand what it is they're delivering and why they're delivering and, and, and they're really bought into that, that why and they understand what role they have to play in the delivery of that particular thing because they understand it's going to move the needle for the organization in this particular way. Um, and that, that's why it feels to me personally that, that those that those goals should always be achievable realistically achievable for the organization and that people should feel like they know how they're going to do that appreciate that thank you so yeah next question from deepika uh do people get motivated when they get to do the training on the technology they like what are your your thoughts of <laughs> to you robert uh, yeah i mean um i, I guess at spectrix we're quite lucky in that we have um a really big commitment to to training and learning and development. In fact, it's my job to make sure that our engineers have got that. So if I'm if if I'm not delivering that, then I'm not doing my job properly. Um, we allocate all of our engineers one day every two weeks, a full day. We call it Freedom Friday, uh, and that that's a day where the engineers get to work on and advance their own career in in whatever way that might be. Now that might be training or gaining certifications some of our engineers are going through azure certifications at the moment others are doing self-guided learning on testing frameworks or they're just diving into technology and what we do ask as a business is that 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 training at least have some applicability to to what we're doing as an organization um, woodworking course or something like that isn't really applicable but um, we found that that is really valuable for our engineers. Not everyone fully avails themselves of that opportunity, but the majority of our engineers are, are really motivated and bought into the idea of personal development. And again, this goes back to the 
autonomy, mastery, and purpose thing I was talking about earlier, where this is the mastery part of it. Um, I feel like that is a huge motivator for people. Definitely. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think um, it's probably a bigger problem for internal teams where you might have a responsibility to be fixing the shopping cart day in, day out, if your team's big enough and that's what you do. I guess, again, we're, we're lucky to be in a situation where we're super varied. One minute we'll be doing something for a bank and the next minute will be fashion and who knows. So things are hugely varied um, and our job is to be problem solvers for our clients. So they'll fill up and want an integration with a piece of software we've never integrated with before. So we read the manual and we roll our sleeves up and we crack on. So we hire for that. There's people we've, um, we're hiring now for a .NET role and some people want to be a .NET developer day in, day out. They're not interested in TypeScript or anything else. And that that's kind of fine because we've got .NET requirements, but there might be a time when we have less of it and we need to move someone to do some front-end work and explore React. Um, so we're constantly asking for people, are you interested in being T-shaped or are you just, you want to just do your Microsoft certifications and follow that path? Um, so if they if they are that, they're probably not the right person for us. We want someone who's curious and all this kind of stuff. And in terms of formal training, we're open to it, but so much of it is on the job. It's like the phones rang, we need to work this out. We're clients expect quick turnaround. So we have an all hands meeting and we get our best engineers on it and we work out a solution and everyone comes out having learned more than they did 24 hours ago. Um, but, um, but yeah, in terms of do people, I think people like to learn more. There's definitely this kind of mastery bit of it. And, and pride is a big thing. Setting high standards, I think, is really important. If it, People, I think, move on when they get bored of a job because it's too easy. And you should be always stretching people, not in a painful, horrible way, just <laughs> in, uh, you know, reminding people that you know, we can do better and that that's our culture. Cheers. At GB Group, we do have like you know, the same Basically, every sprint we do get like one full day for training. Uh, that that's that's really the challenge, isn't it? Is to is to you've made a commitment there to your team. Okay, we're going to spend a day out. Of, I assume you're running two week sprints or something yeah. like that. We're going to spend every uh, one day out of it, two weeks doing this. But you've then got to commit to it, and the there's got to be an acceptance that that's going to have some sort of impact on your overall overall velocity. Um, ideally. The long-term impact of that is that your velocity improves because well-trained, well-motivated team are going to work more effectively. They're going to work harder. They're going to feel like they're really bought into what they're doing and that there's there's an investment in them. Um, as I said, Spectrix and, and other organizations I've worked at have found that having that top-level management commitment to that, providing that training and, and it being almost sacrosanct, like... You don't interrupt people on their training day. We we don't we don't book our um, our ceremonies on those days. We make sure that people have that time and uh, and 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 that's a commitment that we have to them, and that that really works for us. Thank you. And we've got another question from D Pickett, which is: Is recognition important to motivate people? Definitely. It's <laughs> right. Uh, and but it's just a, it's on a human level. You know, it's not you just you got to say thank you when people do a good job and. You'd say that to anyone, um, and and good things happen if you treat people nicely. So, but yeah. do you think like you know if every like you know kind of uh, sprint retro, if we like you know, kind of give a shout out to everyone in in the like in the team, uh, then people will start t- 
taking like you know it for granted then they won't do, don't feel that recognized or motivated in that case for most of us it, we just pass on our clients feedback so when a client goes that was amazing thanks for delivering that special thanks to kevin for whatever he's done you know we'll just copy and paste the email or relay the phone call and just go look clients just made a particular phone call to say thanks for this and it happens and well whenever we put a project live or so so it's not a daily basis it's not even on a sprint basis it's once a month once every six weeks we'll get a very specific you know thank you from someone that is just like you know thanks guys this is this is exactly the reputation we want and it was down to you that that we've done it so um it's not I think you're right. You can't just repeatedly thank the whole team every two weeks. <laughs> just put it on auto auto send or something. We, we do we do something very similar. Um, we we in fact we have a, a Slack channel which is called Client Love, um, which is is where our, our customers gush about us, and it you know it, it really helps to to keep people visible and have that visible connection to what they're doing day to day, how that directly affects affects our clients um that's really effective recognition can come in many forms though uh, and i'm interested in the different forms of recognition that can be applied because recognition can be um, verbal or written that those kinds of things but it also comes in other forms like promotions and, and remuneration and, and other benefits um i'm interested in, in what you found to be the most effective forms of recognition for us we like you know two different kind of recognition like voice award that where like you know you nominate like you know it it, it has like either you it will be the part of your team or like you know whole company wide the people recognize and then like you know there will be certain nominations and like you know it it, it is every quarter or we do have when we have the quarterly planning we do the recognition uh, among the squads as well and the, like you know the usual sprint retro we give the shout outs do, do you ever find that that people are a little bit embarrassed to be shouted out or, or recognized. And I know that I <laughs> I shrivel up and die whenever anyone offers me any praise face-to-face. Yeah, I, I, I do feel a little bit embarrassed as well. But it's like, you know, as basically as a manager, you have to do it. Like, you know, it's kind of your duty. If someone has done a great job, you have to appreciate them. Yeah, and it's part of personal development. Taking compliments is tough. Especially for geeks who can be introverted and whatever else, and they they start batting it away and go, no, it's not a problem. And you're like, no, just take this. It's you, know, you did well. So I think exposing them to those kind of skills and things they take back into their personal lives, and then when someone says something nice outside of work, they know how to act. So I think it's kind of duty as a as a team to I don't know show people, I guess be be a role model, let them see how you do it and they pick up habits from you and all this kind of thing. So they're soft skills and they're not, you can't, you can't train them. You just have to inspire them. Um, in terms of other forms of, um, of reward or whatever, I think, um, I think for sure the people who work harder, work smarter are help more helpful, um, whether that's documented or not, when it comes around to pay reviews, you know, they're, they're certainly more valuable members of the team. I don't think we tie them to you delivered that project a week early and therefore here's something. It almost devalues uh, the recognition, I think. And in fact, there was a um, a psychology experiment where they, I think they took kids who were, like, they loved drawing and they 
they, they gave at playtime they identified all the kids they, some kids went off and did sports some kids drew they took the kids who drew and then started going you're doing a great job you're doing a great job and then started rewarding them and then when they took the rewards away the kids stopped drawing at playtime so they took what was a passion they added reward to it took the reward away and the passion wasn't there anymore and it took 30 days or something for the kids to learn to enjoy it again so I think they shouldn't be too closely aligned or at least not visibly aligned because people we want people to be doing it because they love their job, they love the work, they want pride, um, they want purpose, all this kind of stuff. And the money should be there and the you know, you give them a badge if you want, but um I'd be I'd be nervous about trying to motivate through that those means. I I guess that the the converse though can be a great demotivator if someone feels undervalued. That can certainly feel, well, that can be hugely harmful, of course, can't it? It can. And I guess that a good manager has to keep an eye on that and ask, you know, make sure if they are feeling undervalued, what's the reason? Is it is it money? Is it not enough shout outs? Is it, what is it that's causing it? But you can't remedy it by throwing money at it. Like, yeah, it's more complex, more subtle. Thanks everyone on that one. And last but not least, uh, Andy's question, uh, which is, Again, a very much hot topic. Um, what's the trend for remote working? Do employees want it? And are they happy when they get it? Rob? Um, well, I'll, I'll open with a question. How, how many of us uh, are doing this from home? And how many are doing it from home? Our team was fully remote, Rob. Um, and it was easy for us. We It happened during COVID. Uh, we, uh, we took the government advice and we all threw the laptops and PCs in them car and within four hours everyone was back in a house powered up and working again and then we we had an opportunity to uh, let go of our lease and we've not had an office since and life was great i think and I, we would struggle now to get people back in the office there's definitely when we have a christmas party and there's a get together you see the smiles on people's faces that we we don't see on stand-ups we meet every morning at nine o'clock and have a second stand-up every day at 3 p.m we seem to get on great. No one's complaining. Everyone's grateful for the lack of commute. But we've kind of said for those of us, and we're not all near Manchester anymore. We're fully remote, so we are nationwide. Um, but there's some of us that could do an after-work beer. We'd have to all leave home at five o'clock and meet somewhere and do something. And for those that are within commuting distance to Manchester, it was received really well. It was like, yeah, let's do this. We just need to make sure that we're not excluding or being seen to be cliquey the fact that some of our colleagues can't attend, it's just not practical. Um, but they're keen to see each other's faces again in a real world setting. Um, and, and the other thing culturally, I think that we found is when we left during COVID, we were stacked out. We were at 100% capacity. There was no time to do the ironing or, you know, all the things that might, you fear people might do if they work from home. But, you know, the economy has taken a bit of a turn more recently we're no longer at 100 capacity we're not struggling but you know we're notably quieter um and this there's less productivity is lower not because of people's it's not not any team member's fault we have less work and that's that's fine no one's in trouble for us not giving them work to do um and we certainly use that time wisely to improve our own stuff when we work on internal projects but um, I wonder when we get busy again, and it, it will happen this year, how quickly people will get back to the culture of um, focus, I guess, like nine o'clock, let's get this done, we're going to have another call, 
we've got to smash this out. Will people type as quickly as they did a year ago? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. And that's a culture thing that um, remote working didn't have a time, didn't have time to kick in when initially, but now it has. We're we're real remote working now. We weren't for the first eighteen months, two years. So yeah, I wonder what that's like for internal teams. Um, I guess there's there's quite a lot to unpack there. Just just to clarify, you you don't have kind of permanent offices at all at the moment. Correct. Okay. Okay. Um, so I mean, I, I, my own experience at the start of lockdown was something was was quite similar. It started to look like, hey, this is going to become a big thing. We need to plan for this, and I was not only running software, but services at the business I was at at the time. So we had to very quickly get set up to do like telephony and and get everyone working remotely. But since then, my experience has been that people like working from home, but it doesn't suit everyone. So Spectrix um, is, as a guide, 10 to 20% of the time in the office. And we have locations in London and Manchester and New York, and it, it's had a number of effects. So one thing we found is that um, some people who have to work from home, they simply don't have a suitable environment to work from home. So they're maybe in a in a house share or a flat share, or or they they're living on their own. They find that lack of human contact very difficult for them. Those people really really want to be in the office, and the office is there and open and available to them. They can come in whenever they like, and and actually we every. Every day that someone comes into their local office, Spectrix pays a small amount to them um, to help them with the cost of, of travel and, and so forth. It's really good. But I also have a bunch of engineers who would happily never see the inside of an office ever again. And, and you know, we, we accommodate them as much as possible. With that 10 to 20% of the time, what we find is if we plan our activities so that teams come together and work on stuff that is that is best done as a group, so uh where they where they can all gather around a dry wipe board and and sketch out things like you know opportunity trees or or dependencies or where they can sketch out architecture that kind of thing those are the kinds of things that work really well there are these collaboration tools miro miro i don't i don't know how you pronounce that um you know we use that extensively but also we love getting together and, and, and working on that that together. Um, but another side effect of that has been that it's allowed us to fish in a slightly wider talent pool. So if you're geographically located and you say, hey, we, we you know, we you've got to be in commuting distance of Manchester or London or wherever, that reduces the pool of talent that you have available to you. So I've got engineers who are living in Nottingham, people who are in Leeds, um, and they come to the office um they can still come to the office sort of 10 percent of the time but it's allowed us to sort of look a bit further afield when we're recruiting talent that's been really useful for us um i think my own view is that that giving people choice which comes back to the autonomy part of autonomy mastery and purpose giving people choice and control over how they work that again leads to motivation you get those three things together and people are going to be motivated indeed bicker for us uh, so Basically, I don't live, uh, live too far from office. It's just less than 10 minutes drive anyway. So I was working hybrid before COVID. And then COVID happened. We all started working from home. Uh, although some team members were still working from uh, before, well, even before COVID. After that, our team kind of spread up. And then like we do have people all over the country. We meet 
every quarter for quarterly planning or, and which like, you know, ranges over three days. So, we, and like some people travel from US as well. So we meet every quarter, decide like, you know, what we're going to be working on that quarter. And then, and those are the days when like, you know, we meet each other in office. Although sometimes I do go to office, like, you know, if I want to, but it's like completely optional. I think that rounds everyone off. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks so much to all our guests today for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. Once again, our guests on today's podcast have been Andy Nichol from Sputnik Digital, Robert Illing from Spectrix, and Deepika Singh from GB Group. If you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, please feel free to drop me a message. And finally, if you're hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role yourself, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. I'm Scott Hutchinson. And you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at scott.hutchinson at evolutionjobs.co.uk or visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening. And we hope you can join us next time.